Virginia is for families, all sorts of families. My family, your family, your neighbor's family, for families of all species, for beach chair sitting families and paddleboard standing families, for families that like to camp outside and the ones that would rather museum inside. Yep, we got plenty of those to choose from. For mountain hiking families and would rather hang out by the pool resort going families. Come to think of it, that's more my speed. So, in conclusion, Virginia has all sorts of things your family could love. So, come love it for yourself. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and we are coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to uh, give us a call, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And, of course, you can always uh, check us out online at any of our social media sites at exxonradiotv.com. Actually, it's just Exxon Radio TV. Our website is exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Nick Redfern. He is the author of 40 books on UFOs, lake monsters, the Roswell crash, zombies, and Hollywood scandal, including Women in Black, Men in Black, Chupacabra Road Trip, The Bigfoot Book, and Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Nick has appeared on many TV shows, including BBC's Out of This World, the Sci-Fi Channel's Proof Positive, the History Channel's Monster Quest, America's Book of Secrets, Alien, Ancient Aliens, and UFO Hunters, the National Geographic Channel's Paranormal, and MSNBC's Countdown with Keith Olbermann. He can be contacted through his blog website at nickredfernfortianblogspot. Dot com And uh, Nick is going to be joining us to talk to us about his new book. So, Nick, why don't you uh, let our listeners know all about your new book that is entitled 365 Days of UFOs. Well, yeah, sure. It's, it's a bit of a departure, I guess, for me, Rob, because as, you, as you'll know from the book titles you just read out, most mm-hmm. of my books are on one particular topic, like the Men in Black or yep. the Roswell crash, uh, things like Bigfoot, things like that. But the, the new book... Um, 
has a different thread to it. Rather than being on one subject, the thread is the 365 days of the year. That's why the book's called 365 <laughs> Days of UFOs. And so, in other words, there's a UFO story for every day of the week. And what I've done is rather than go over, you know, the same old ground, is mm -hmm. to dig out a lot of sort of obscure but very interesting UFO-related cases and also um, to use a lot of uh, reports that people have given me over the years which have never seen the light of day. And so what I've done is to sort of pretty much, um, like across the board, cover a great deal of different topics to demonstrate the sheer number of UFO reports and related topics that have occurred you know, on, on every day of the year over the, you know, the, the past 70 years or so. And so that, that's basically the, the thread and, and theme of the book. Nick, uh, in your experience, based on the research you do, the many people that you meet, the topics that you write about, the topics you discuss about, are UFO sightings up or is it just that the information is accessible to more people at such a faster speed that more and more people are learning about UFOs? Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult to say for sure, Robert. I think it's a little bit of both, really. And what I mean by that is that certainly, you know, in the years since the Internet sort of kicked off, you know, we're talking sort of roughly mm -hmm. 20 years ago now, uh, to begin with, you know, there wasn't that much of an appreciable difference. But if you go back certainly to the early 2000s and definitely right through to the present day, you know, there is obviously instant data on UFOs, um, surfacing on the internet all the time and uh, through websites, through blogs, you know, through Facebook, Twitter, etc. And so for that reason, we are getting instant data as it comes through. And I think the other important thing to note is that certainly the other thing that the internet, I think, has done has made a lot more people feel comfortable about sharing their data. That's to say, you know, there was a point where it was kind of perceived, well, if you've seen a UFO, you know, you need to kind of see a psychiatrist or get a life. Right, you know? yeah. That, that was sort of the approach that was very much taken. But certainly that has changed in the last few years where even the mainstream media, to a fairly significant degree, takes the subject more seriously. And we see mainstream TV channels like Discovery and History um, also covering the subject in a serious fashion. So I think... When witnesses see that happening, they feel more comfortable about coming forward and sharing their own experiences. And you combine that with the instant um, data through the Internet, then we actually see a very different picture than we saw, say, in the 70s or the 80s. Nick, stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exxon Nation, Nick Redfern is my special guest, a good friend of the Exxon. We're talking about Nick's new book, 365 Days of UFOs. And it's available on Amazon.com. And you can always reach Nick through his blogspot at nickredfern14.blogspot.com. I am Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Nick Redfern and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. 
Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. Nick Redfern is our guest, www.nickredfernfortian.blogspot.com. We're talking about Nick's new book, 365 Days of UFOs. Uh, Nick, in your, in your book, what do you believe is the most compelling case of the mm. true existence of UFOs? Well, I mean, it's difficult to pinpoint it down to one because, you know, there are so many different aspects to UFO encounters. But, I mean, what the, for me at least, the ones that are most persuasive are some of the military reports. And I include in the book um, a number of reports where military pilots had seen UFOs and not only seen them in the sky, but the radar operators on the ground at military bases were tracking them independently. And we have uh, reports even of uh, pilots photographing uh, these objects. And a number of these reports that I talk about in the book actually occurred in the 1950s. And the reason we know about these reports is because the documents have now surfaced through the Freedom Information Acts of numerous countries like the US, Canada, the UK and Australia. And when you have highly credible military personnel talking about seeing large sort of silvery gleaming flying saucer type craft in the skies performing all sorts of maneuvers and then you find out that simultaneously the radar operators were tracking the the movements and this is all back 60 years ago you know when our technology was nowhere near that advanced Mm -hmm. it's that kind of uh evidence that really sort of persuades me that there is you know when you get rid of the hoaxes and the misidentification that there is a small core body of material that is legitimately originates with something or somebody unknown to us you know whether it's extraterrestrial whether it's multi-dimensional who knows what but it's it's something that's not from here nick what in your opinion is the the number one ufo case in the world past or Mm -hmm. present that is closest to the smoking gun as we can get well, you know, I think so. when it comes to the smoking gun, I think that would be some of these, like the aforementioned cases I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I would say in terms of what's the most important case, I would say that would be the Roswell event of 1947. And the reason why I think it's so important is because it's the one case, perhaps more than any other, that could really change ufology overnight if, and it's an important if, if it was proved that Roswell was an extraterrestrial event and finally the truth came out, whether by mistake or, you know, some Edward Snowden type, Mm -hmm. who knows. But I think if that did happen, if something was released, then it would literally, 
open the sort of the floodgates immediately. And I think the reason why is because so many people were involved in that case, so many military personnel. There must be, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of pages on the case somewhere. We just don't know where. So I think Roswell is so important because of the massive changes it could make to ufology. Now, then on the other hand, you know, you have the theory that Roswell wasn't an extraterrestrial event, but may have been some sort of classified military vehicle that crashed. If that was the case, it would also dramatically alter ufology because Roswell has been for so oft, for so long, you know, sort of flown the flag of, of sure. the subject. So I think for both, both of those reasons, Roswell is, is the most important case. But taking Roswell, for example, 50 years plus, technology has, has far superseded what we had back in 1947. Yeah. The, the access to information that we have is, is, is phenomenal, and yet mm -hmm. there has been no major discovery in the Roswell case up to this date. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's actually this July, it'll be the 70th anniversary. Wow. That's how long ago the case now is. Um, but you're right. What we don't have is like a definitive smoking gun. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have a large body of witness testimony and military personnel, most of who, unfortunately, now are dead just purely yeah. because of the passage of time. And I think one of the important things is that whatever happened at Roswell, it happened long before the digital age. So, in other words, I think one of the reasons why Roswell, um, the secret, if you like, mm -hmm. has remained so hidden from us is purely and simply because nothing at the time was ever computerized, you right. know, because computer, computers were barely around in 47. So my view on Roswell is that somewhere in probably some sort of bunker or underground fortified installation, there's probably something, the equivalent of like the final scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm -hmm. you know, where you have this warehouse or this building where all this classified material is held. And because, as I said, that there's nothing, you know, on computers, etc., that all the original files, photographs of the bodies and the crash sites and autopsies, they are probably still exist in their original raw form. And I think that would be an extremely easy way to hide things because nothing is can be penetrated via hackers or anything like that. It's it's sitting in drawers, you know. Maybe the sure. people who are hiding the secret today don't really know what to do with it. You know, maybe all they know for sure is that somebody crashed 70 years ago, mm -hmm. they weren't from here, we've got the bodies preserved, we've studied the technology as best as we can, but we haven't really cracked what their technology is. So maybe it's just literally stored away, you know, almost like a cl highly classified museum piece or something like that. All right, so we're talking 70 years ago when this happened. But here we are in the year 2017. Between 2017 and 1947, surely if the Roswell crash was not an isolated case, that by now there would have been discovered irreputable evidence that UFOs are in fact real. No, you're right. And that is one of the, you know, the unfortunate sides mm -hmm. of the subject, which obviously you know, those who are skeptical of the of the topic uh, are quick to latch on. And, yeah. and I have to admit, I, you know, I can't blame them for saying that because mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. For a subject that has had so many sightings attached to it, thousands and thousands, we don't, it, you know, even I have to admit, it's strange that we don't have even one definitive smoking gun sure you know like the equivalent of to put it in simple terms you know extraterrestrial landing gear or something like that now whether or not somebody within government has that technology hidden away that's one angle but then you would think that occasionally a member of the public would get to one of these crash sites or incident sites before the military got there and actually picked up some hardware now there are some stories like that surrounding the Roswell case where, for example, people claim to have found bits of wreckage out in the desert and the military confiscated some of it and other people claim that, mm -hmm. you know, their grandparents still hung on to it for years. But again, with a lot of these stories, they sound interesting, but we never ever get that final 
a bit of definitive evidence. So, you know, um, in some respects, that does place at least some of these stories in a category almost like friend-of-a-friend type stories, you know. Um, but I think that shouldn't dissuade us. It should just keep, you know, pushing us on for, for, for further answers, you know. And sure. I mean, one of the interesting things about the case, um, and I talk about Roswell in the book uh, under the date of, you know, the U.S. Independence Day, July the 4th, because that's the date when supposedly the crash occurred, you know, which would be kind of really ironic when mm -hmm. you consider the movie Independence Day as well, you know, that's whether or not that was one of the reasons why they chose, you know, the title for the movie as Independence Day, but that is the date on which reportedly the craft came down. Exonation. Nick Redfern is our special guest. We're talking to Nick about his new book, 365 Days of UFOs. It's available on Amazon.com and other, I'm sure, at other online venues as well. Uh, his website is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. Nick, also in your book, you cover crop circles. Uh, what stories can you share with us? Well, again, I've tried to sort of steer away from the, you know, the typical stories that you mm -hmm. see so often about, you know, these massive formations yeah. every year. One of the things I found was that during the Second World War, Britain's MI5, which is the British equivalent of the FBI, actually opened a file on crop circles. And um, I use this because I found the date when the file was originally opened. So that's the reason why it's in the book. But what's interesting is that British bomber pilots flying over Europe during the Second World War reported seeing these strange formations in fields. Um, and the first thought was, well, these have got to be sort of coded messages uh, for like, Nazi pilots. You know, this one, this intricate formation means... Uh, bomb London at midnight approach from the east, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it made sense, you know, that they would think it was some sort of coded message, yeah. but it turned out that as MI5 dug into it further, that German pilots were reporting seeing these formations in the fields and came to the same conclusion. They thought it was the Allied forces that were making them, you know, to say, attack Berlin at 6pm, wow. you know, fly in from the west or whatever. And, um, and actually got hold of these files through the Freedom of Information Act in the UK. And they sound just like today's crop circles. Now, the other weird aspect to the crop circle phenomenon I found was that a number of reports had been filed again with the military by the public and also reports that several reports that reached me where people had seen strange creatures in and around crop circles, which is an area you don't really hear very much about. For example... I've got one case in the book um, where somebody saw a, like a Mothman-type creature hovering over a, a massive crop circle formation in the English county of Wiltshire, where most of the crop circles appear every year. And also several reports where people had seen large black cats in crop circles. Mm. Now, in the UK, we have a long history of what are called ABCs, or alien big cats, which should not be present in the UK and they're essentially people call them like black panthers they're sort of mountain lion size but black in color and what's weird is that there are a lot of paranormal overtones attached to these large black cats where they've been seen around ancient stone circles and graveyards and things like that and they're sort of a very much like a, a subculture almost in british paranormal research but on top of that as I said, there are a number of reports from the 90s and the 2000s of people seeing these large black cats prowling around crop circles. So, in other words, we have a lot of, we have like the conspiratorial angle um, connecting to crop circles with MI5 and right. the Nazis and these government files. And then we have this weirder aspect of um, these strange creatures roaming around like Mothman-type entities and large black cats in and around crop circles yeah. so all of this sort of persuades me that the crop circle phenomenon is far you know the, the real ones they're not the work of people but some of them um seem to go far beyond even just the idea that they were made by you know extraterrestrials there's some just some very strange sort of almost off the wall aspects to the phenomenon as well nick uh, we've got to take our commercial break uh, for the news at the bottom of the yard but when we come back um I, i'm going to ask you a question now and give you a couple of uh, some uh, some uh, time to chew it over is there a connection between foo fighters 
from World War II and crop circles. ExoNation, Nick Redfern is my special guest. We're talking to Nick about his new book, 365 Days of UFOs. It's available on Amazon. And you can find out more information about Nick by visiting his blogspot, nickredfern14.blogspot.com. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Whatever you do, don't go away. Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today 
www.soulbalancing.world. www.nickredfern14.blogspot.com is Nick Redfern's blogspot. And we're talking to Nick this hour about his new book, 365 Days of UFOs. It's available on Amazon.com. So before we went to the break, uh, I asked you, is there a connection between Foo Fighters and crop circles in the UK? Well, there may actually be, Rob, because I've got several cases like this in the book, and for people who may not be aware of it, uh, the Foo Fighters aren't just a rock band. <laughs> and, um, um, Dave Grohl, who, who formed uh, the Foo Fighters, actually took their name from strange balls of light that were seen by both Allied and Axis pilots during the Second World War. And kind of like with the crop circles, both sides thought they were a secret weapon of the other side, but as, again official files show um, nobody really had the answer they just thought the other side had the answer when they really didn't wow. and these balls of light were sort of anywhere from sort of a tennis ball to a basketball in size and were very often sort of glowing or brightly lit and they would fly around and zip around military aircraft clearly demonstrating some sort of intelligent maneuvers now how and why this ties in with the crop circles is that there have been many reports of, and actually, as I said, I include several of these in the book, many reports of people seeing these strange balls of light or orbs of light hovering or flying over crop circles, sometimes flying at very high speeds, sometimes hovering over them at heights of 30 or 40 feet, but also, like the old Foo Fighters, exhibiting what seems to be some degree of intelligence, or at least something controlling them. And um, uh, several uh, friends of mine, uh, well-known uh, crop circle researchers over the years, have sort of staked out these formations in the middle of the night and actually seen these things hover over them as if they were actually hmm. uh, responding to the presence of the researchers. And again, there are different, different theories as to what they might be. Some people feel that they could be some sort of byproduct energy of the creation of the formations whereas other researchers think that they somehow literally create the formations that they um, have the ability to sort of emit some kind of energy that flattens the corn down rather than you know snaps it by it like as a heavy weight would so uh, and there's a number of interesting pieces of film footage showing these sort of Foo Fighter balls of light as well so it, it all demonstrates that there's far more going on with the crop circle issue than, than we really know at all. You know, I remember years ago when the UFO phenomena stirred, uh, first started to become very popular, we heard stories about men in black. Um, can you talk about some of the men in black cases that you have in your new book, 365 Days of UFOs? Yeah, sure. Well, over the years, I've actually written three books on the men in black and one book called Women in Black, which is sort of self-explanatory. And of course, you know, when you write books on one particular subject, people contact mm -hmm. you to share their stories of a similar nature. And so over the years, I get a lot of reports. And um, the, the real men in black, it's sort of important to, to note, are nothing like the men in black in the movies. You know, it's not like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, most of the men in black stories involve entities, if you like. They're actually really quite creepy. They're typically described as sort of very pale, um, dressed in these old black suits and black fedoras, and they have these large staring eyes that they sometimes hide behind uh, large black wraparound sunglasses. And, um, and they, they kind of come across almost like ufological vampires or something like that. And they sort of terrorize and threaten people, usually surface only late at night and you know, bang on people's doors and, mm -hmm. and essentially terrify them. And in the, in the new book, I've got about 14 or 15 cases of Men in Black reports where there was a lot of strange stuff going on where people had seen a UFO, perhaps driving home late at night, and then literally within, say, a day of having the encounter right they would get weird hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night mm. with these odd strange voices warning them not to talk about what they'd seen or hearing a weird static on the line 
and and even more bizarrely they in several cases they experienced violent poltergeist activity in the home and electrical equipment like microwaves and refrigerators and toasters and things like that would suddenly blow and um almost as if the people had been almost sort of paranormally infected and um and as I said, most of the stories in the book are far and removed from the idea of the men in black being secret agents. They're more, in, in, to put it sort of bluntly, in many respects, they don't even sound human. You know, their skin is sort of the color of a sheet of paper. You know, they sort of look skinny, and uh, sometimes they're very short, about five feet tall. Mm. But on other occasions, they're more sort of about six foot five to seven. Uh, feet tall and um, and they just look very very odd and they also seem to have the ability to affect people's minds to hypnotize them to sort of almost enslave them when these interviews are going on and uh, and as I said of the 15 that I include in the book I would say there's only two that really fall into the idea into the category of them being you know sort of from a from a government agency the rest are sort of far removed really are these men in black encounters still occurring today oh yeah that's one of the weird things is that many of the people who report encounters with the men in black to Mm -hmm. this very day i've I've actually got probably seven or eight reports from 2015 and and they're still described as how they were in the late 40s and 50s that's to say you know the old style black suits right the skinny black ties and even the old fedoras you know Mm. they look kind of like they've stepped out of like a 1950s gangster movie or something like that except for the fact that their skin is sort of milk white and they're really skinny and they have these odd oversized eyes um and they also are reported even today driving old-fashioned cars like black chevys and cadillacs that kind of thing so it's almost like they've sort of stepped out of time and never never changed you know it's like they're sort of frozen in time almost so if some of these cases nick are from 2015 has anyone taken a picture of the black men in black these visitors or the vehicles that they drive yeah actually in my um second book on the subject the real men in black i actually include a couple of photographs in there Mm -hmm. there's a quite a well-known one that was taken by uh two researchers well one was driving the car one took the picture uh tim beckley and jim mosley back in the 1960s in uh, Jersey City in the United States. And this involved a man in black who was basically sort of uh, staking out the um, home of a pair of UFO researchers in uh, Jersey City in the 60s, uh, Jack and Mary uh, Robertson, excuse me, Robinson. And um, the Robinsons reported seeing these this man in black type character outside their home on a number of occasions. And Tim and Jim were lucky enough when they were over there to actually get a picture. And the picture that I reproduce, you have this sort of almost zombie-like um, MIB mm-hmm. with this vacant look on his face and wearing these sunglasses that are really weird because they look like ski goggles almost. There's a sort of wraparound. You've got the fedora hat on, a black suit, and like a long black trench coat as well. And he looks totally out of place, just stood in the recess of this old doorway on a street in, in Jersey City. And um, so there are a few pictures like that. And there's a couple of um, interesting pieces of film footage, one that surfaced just a couple of years ago, uh, allegedly showing a couple of strange-looking men in black entering a hotel lobby, uh, which you can find that one on YouTube and elsewhere. Now, did the Robinsons, well, report, did, did the Robinsons report this uh, suspicious character hanging outside their house to the law enforcement agencies or just to the UFO organizations? Just to Jim and Tim and a few other friends, because I think, you know, they probably perceptively realized that if you phone the police and say, I'm being watched by the men in black, you know, it probably... You, you might be dismissed. You yeah, know, I, I understand that, but if you were to call up the police and say there's a suspicious character hanging around the mm. outside of my house, can somebody come over and check this person out? Well, yeah, no, you, you're right there. That would actually have made a great deal of difference, but I think the mm-hmm. problem was the person who was on the receiving end was a UFO researcher, so they, the Robinsons, I think, automatically tied it in with the, with the MIB and the UFO phenomenon, rather than with hindsight, if they, did, mm-hmm. if they thought about it logically, yeah. with hindsight, they probably should have said, you know, there's just this 
guy who we're a bit worried about, he's hanging around the apartment, then they probably would have come out immediately. But because they were so tied to the UFO phenomenon, they just phoned Jim and Tim up and said, there's a man in black keeps hovering around the property. Taking, so taking think, that, you know, take, I'm sorry, Nick, taking that aspect where these people were tied so close to the UFO community, how much does this play into the actuality that it may have had nothing to do with the alleged men in black, that it was just, you know, yeah. their mind the over matter? In black. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's actually a good question because this is one of the areas where it gets a little bit problematic because mm-hmm. it is a fact that, you know, back in the 40s and the 50s, the fashion for all the guys back then was sort of suits and fedoras. You know, that was sort of the... It was like the classical style of that era, you know, to sort of uh, to go out right. looking like that. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes ufology is itself guilty of, you know, sort of looking at things in a biased fashion, not deliberately, but just, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously. That's mm-hmm. to say, you know, if you're a UFO researcher and you investigated an important case, and then twice, you know, the day after you start the investigation, this black car drives past your home slowly, and you think it's the man in black. Well, it could be. But on the other hand, it could actually be a guy who lives three streets away who exactly. restores vintage cars, you know, mm-hmm. and he's got a black caddy from 1957 or something like that. But I think that kind of ties in with the mindset that sometimes happens when people get involved in ufology, that they see conspiracies on every corner, they see the men in black on every corner, when, like we said, it could just be a guy dressed in black and it could just be a car that somebody's restoring because a person likes 1950s cars. So we have to try and remain grounded as a Mm -hmm. community and not just pick up on things because it sounds cool or whatever, you know. But what does this mindset do to the credibility of the modern UFO community? Well, I mean, I think if we stay grounded and take a logical approach, it's not a problem. I think the problem occurs when what sometimes Mm -hmm. happens is that UFO researchers get onto a case and they'll jump the gun and start talking about this and that and, and then it all collapses. Now, if we've taken the mindset of well, let's take it carefully and quietly and don't spread around the case we're investigating, get all the information we can, and then put it out. I think that's what that's the way it should always be done. Sure. Sometimes people just get too excited and they put the story out. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the whole issue that occurred two years ago with the, the Roswell slide. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Where there were these slides that supposedly were going to show one of the bodies to the Roswell crash. It turned out to be actually a mummy uh, yeah. from a museum. But what happened, had they looked into it and said at the end, you know, we looked into this case and we're revealing it now and we're certain it was a mummy and we didn't want to say anything beforehand and jump the gun. I don't think anybody had a problem with that. But by alluding to it being the real thing and then having to back down and say, well, it was just a mummy, that's the problem that often surfaces in ufology, that kind of thing. Nick, stand by. You and I have to take our... Final break for this hour. Exonation Nick Redfern is my special guest. www.nickredfern14.blogspot.com. The name of his new book, 365 Days of UFOs, is available on Amazon.com. And Nick and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Hey, listen, if you'd like to sign our Stop Killing Bigfoot petition www.xzbn.net and www.xzoneradiotv.com This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Nick Redfern is our guest this hour. He's the author of a new book that is out, 365 Days of UFOs. It's available on Amazon.com. In your book, you also talk about cattle mutilations. And are they still in the news? Well, they are. I mean, very occasionally I still get reports, but there's there's no doubt that the subject really was, or the, the events, if you like, the incidents were at their height. Mm-hmm in the 70s, having pretty much begun in the late 60s. But certainly, you know, the sort of 73 to about 78 was really the the hot spot for cattle mutes, Um, not just in the United States, but actually around the world as well. Um, But the reason I include this in the book is because through the American Freedom Information Act, the FBI has declassified its dossier on cattle mutilations, which runs to about 150 pages and covers 1973 
1978. And um, I include several of these uh, reports on spe because the specific dates are in the files, um, where, for example, when you read these files, some of them read like science fiction until you realize you're actually reading real um, FBI files. They talk about cattle found with their organs removed, with blood removed, um, with strange tripod-like landing marks in the direct vicinity of where the cattle were found, of strange lights in the sky, of military and unmarked helicopters turning up after the events had occurred, as if they were like some sort of clandestine team monitoring them. And also a lot of complaints from ranchers, you know, what's going to be done about this, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And there was a great deal going on behind the scenes with the FBI as to whether or not they should play sort of a full role in it or if it should be left to local law enforcement, which is basically what did happen in the end. So, in other words, you know, it, it, was, it really was sort of like a real X-Files type situation for about four years where the FBI actually came away totally mystified by it. But they addressed all the different theories like UFOs, um, sort of biological warfare experiments, um, cults, you know, sort of uh, satanic cults, that kind of thing, um, and all sorts of different scenarios, and aliens, of course. So, in other words, it was, it was something that eluded the best personnel of the FBI, really. And um, the, as I said, the mystery certainly isn't nowhere on the scale that it was way back then, but, but we still do get occasional reports now, yeah. You know, speaking about the FBI, are are there still UFO researchers that believe they're under government surveillance? Well, there are, but they're, they're, but they probably are under surveillance. The reason I say that is, again, if you go back and look at the Freedom Information Act, um, a number of files have, have now been released mm -hmm. on um, people in ufology. For example, several of the famous contactees from the 1950s, people like George Adamski, George Van Tassel, um, their UFO files have been declassified. Um, George Adamski's file is about 100 pages. Uh, George Van Tassel's is 300 and something. And they talk about how agents were set out uh, to sit in the audience at conferences and events and listen to what these guys were saying. Um, other files have surfaced. Uh, for example, the FBI's file on um, Philip Corso, who wrote the, the book The Day After Roswell. Mm -hmm. His FBI file exists and has been declassified. Um, also, a number of other people in ufology, like Frank Stranges, who wrote a, a, a contactee book in yeah. the 50s. He has a file. Um, so, in other words, the fact that these files existed in the 50s and 60s suggests, or logic would suggest, that um, certain people in the subject are still watched today. Why do you think these people were being watched? What, what was the, you know, what was the FBI looking for? Well, when it came to people like Adamski, for example, mm -hmm. it wasn't so much that they were concerned about George Adamski was claiming to have met aliens from Venus, which was one of his big claims, you know, highly controversial. They weren't overly concerned by that. What concerned them, and bear in mind this was the time frame of the early 50s, that when he did his lectures, very often in this period, um, Adamski told the audience that the so-called Space Brothers, as he called them, were communists and that communism was the way of the future. Mm. Now, of course, if you were to say that today, it might raise eyebrows, you know, if you did yeah. a little local lecture in a library. But Adamski was lecturing to hundreds and occasionally thousands of people at the height of the whole McCarthyism and Reds Under the Bed scares, that kind of thing. So... The FBI was concerned mm -hmm. that people would gravitate towards the UFO subject and as a result of the words of people like Adamski would come around to sort of like a, a communist belief system but born out of taking an interest in UFOs. So, you know, they, they were being watched but sometimes for very alternative reasons that we don't necessarily always think about. What about alien abductions? Do you cover that in your book as well? Uh, can you share some oh, of the yeah. insight with us? Yeah, and again, I've tried to sort of, although obviously, you know, things like the Betty and Barney Hill case is in there, but again, I've tried to steer away mm -hmm. from just going over old ground. And um, I include a number of South American cases, which actually turned out quite violent for the, for the people, where there was a lot of hostility, um, where people have been sort of manhandled and, you know, treated mm -hmm. very roughly by these entities. 
and um, also a number of cases from the UK, which you, you don't get that many abduction stories coming out of the UK. Um, so I, I've tried to sort of vary things. I've, there's uh, one case in the book from uh, South Africa as well and several from Australia demonstrating that this is sort of a, a global phenomenon, if you like. Bigfoot UFO connection, you mentioned that. Mm. Yeah, well, this, as bizarre as it sounds, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are a number of cases on record where people have seen Bigfoot and UFOs and strange lights um, in the same proximity. Like, um, uh, like same in the day, Star Wars movies? Time. Like in the Star Wars movies, you know, Chubby? Well, I, I guess in a way like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a wave of uh, Bigfoot UFO encounters in Pennsylvania in 1973, and this is one of the cases I talk about in the book, where a man saw these two large sort of hair-covered humanoid figures, about seven to seven and a half feet tall, um, late at night in this field, and suddenly the sky was lit up by what we can only call a UFO. And um, a number of people were with him at the time, and all of them briefly fell sick. Uh, they had nausea, um, felt dizzy, felt lightheaded, almost as if the, the phenomenon was, was impacting on them. And there's another example I talk about in the book. Um, in South Texas, or southeast Texas, excuse me, there's a large area of forest called the Big Thicket uh, where there have been numerous UFO reports. Now, there's a large road that runs through the Big Thicket. Its real title is Bragg Road, but locally it's known as Ghost Light Road because where people see these hairy Bigfoot-type creatures, people have reported seeing these strange balls of light. Actually, not unlike the Foo Fighters that we talked about earlier, zipping through the woods and literally sometimes hovering over these Bigfoot-type creatures. So this suggests to me that whatever Bigfoot is, it's sort of far more than just an unknown type or unclassified North American ape. There's something far stranger to it as well. Is it possible, then, that Bigfoot is actually a visitor from another planet, an extraterrestrial? Well, that is one of the theories. Mm -hmm. You also have the sort of multidimensional theory that it sort of flits in and out of our reality, Um, or the idea that it's something from here, but Mm -hmm. it's highly evolved. You know, that it may look sort of primitive and monstrous, but if it's really highly evolved, perhaps it even has access to abilities that, you know, that we have our five senses, maybe it has far more senses that somehow, you know, it comes into play with these balls of light. Some people believe that the balls of light, which I guess by definition are UFOs, you know, they're lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. Some people believe that these entities, the Bigfoot entities, are interdimensional. And as, as, they, sort of <clears throat> as they pass from one dimensional realm to another, it creates almost like an equivalent of like static electricity, and that's what these balls of light are. They're sort of an offshoot, which, you know, is sort of an interesting little theory. Why do you think the, the topic of the paranormal, UFOs, ghosts, uh, men in black, cattle mutilation, alien abductions are so, so popular these days? Well, I think one of the reasons, which gets back to what we kind of said early in the show, mm-hmm. one of the reasons is that more people feel comfortable about talking about it. You know, they don't feel... Um, that they're going to be laughed at or ridiculed or caught, worse still called liars. Mm-hmm. You know, that they feel more comfortable about it. And then it has a spiraling effect where the more people come forward and feel comfortable, that prompts more people to do that. And then it has a spiraling effect with the media who cover it more because they see people taking an interest in it more. And I think there's also the just the more down-to-earth theory or angle, if you like, that's everybody loves a mystery you know um i think sometimes it it just is that simple the idea that um you know we're watching tv we go to work you know life's sort of black and white Mm -hmm. but we kind of get excited when when the when the gold posts if you like are, are blurred a little bit you know and then something strange happens people sort of everybody you know we're is interested occasionally in like a story of a haunted house or a spooky event, that kind of thing. And so, uh, but I think that says a great deal about our mindset as a species. You know, we're sort of fascinated by the unknown. Nick, as always, time goes by so fast when you're with us, my friend. Uh, I've got about a minute left. Uh, what's what's up, what's up next for you? 
Um, well, the other thing is another book, a very different book called Immortality of the Gods, which you can also get just about now as well. And it deals with the whole issue of sort of ancient astronauts and how it ties in with possibly ancient astronauts having achieved immortality. So it sort of deals with the science behind immortality wow. and asks the questions, well, one day will we be able to achieve immortality and, uh, you know, keep the Grim Reaper at bay? Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Continued success and congratulations on yet another book. Exo Nation, Nick Redfern has been our guest. His new book, 365 Days of UFOs, is available at Amazon.com. And check his website out. I'm sorry, his blogspot. Nick Redfern, 14.blogspot.com. And I'll be back on the other side of this break here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Mm-hmm.